when I was growing up, um, having a pen pal was a pretty common thing for um, kids who were school-aged. So for those of you who don't know what a pen pal is, a pen pal was um, somebody who... I, there's a little age difference probably. So um, a pen pal was um, somebody you would write to who lived maybe in a different part of the country or maybe a different country entirely. Um, and the idea was that you would learn some writing skills and um, that you would uh, learn about a different culture. So this is back in the day where we used to write letters with pen and paper, um, put them in envelopes, put a stamp on them, and mail them. That's how we connected with people. Um, and now that's kind of pretty much lost with um, social media. We, it's much easier to just connect with people across the world with social media. But I remember writing these letters, and as a young girl, it always kind of started out the same way. The idea was you're supposed to introduce yourself, and then you would kind of talk about um, my name. You know, let me introduce my name is Wendy, um, where I'm from, my family, what kind of things I enjoy doing, what my hometown was like. And then you had to practice asking questions. And um, always remember to put a question mark at the end. So you would ask questions. What's your family like? Do you have any brothers or sisters? What is your town like? Um, what do you like to do for fun? So what we're going to do right now is we're going to get up and um, practice what it would be like to have a pen pal here in this room. I want you to find somebody, introduce yourself, um, probably to somebody who doesn't know the answers to all these questions. Um, so there's a few questions. Um, introduce yourself, as, tell them if you have any brothers or sisters, um, what your hometown is like, and may, maybe um, what you like to do for fun. If you get to all those, if you don't, that's fine. Um, so get up, go. Be friendly to one another. I will bring us back together. Um, so tell them your name, ask a few questions, find out. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I, we definitely don't have a church that people are like, do I really have to get up and talk to people? Like, do I really have to sit and listen to her talk? All right. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> um, okay. So during this new teaching series, we're going to be looking at a letter um, that was written not long after Jesus' life, his death and resurrection, and the beginning of the church. And this is actually one of the uh, first letters that was chronologically written. So it was the first letter that was written even before many of Paul's letters that are in the New Testament. But this letter is very different from the letters that I once wrote as a child, where um, the writer, you know, you introduce yourself, you tell um, about yourself, and you ask questions. This is very different. Um, so we don't get a whole lot of information about this writer, his background, his childhood, his family, but we can find out that information by looking at other parts of the New Testament um, where he is mentioned. So this morning I'm going to introduce you to the writer of the book of James or the letter of James. So in our English translations, that is how we refer to him as James. Um, in your Spanish translations in your Bibles, he will be referred to as Santiago. So um, it's a little confusing, and I'm, we're having a multicultural church. I'm going to try my best to explain this. So um, Santiago is uh, 
a unique name to this particular James because um, he is referred to oftentimes as Saint James to distinguish him from other Jameses that we will kind of talk about. Um, but it's also complicated because the name James actually is very similar um, or comes from the name Jacob that we find in the Old Testament, the character of Jacob. And so in your um, Spanish translations, when you see, um, when you're reading um, in the Spanish translations, where we read in English James, you will see Jacobo, I, I believe I'm, I'm pronouncing that correct. Um, so I'm trying to explain that all. It's very um, complicated. Um, so now you know as much as I know. <laughs> I'm sure there's more that we could talk about. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to look, the first time that we kind of learn about this particular James is in the Gospel of Matthew, um, looking in chapter 13, where he is actually named. So um, in verse 54, we're going to see that uh, Jesus goes back to his hometown. So it says, coming to his hometown, Jesus, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. So imagine Jesus is going back to his hometown, and he's going and speaking in the synagogue that he probably was raised in, um, learned from people, people knew him. And it says that they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. And then in verse 55, it says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mom's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And aren't all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And it says that they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. So what we see here is Jesus goes back to his hometown, he begins his ministry, and he starts speaking in the synagogue where people knew him as a child. And it says that um, people kind of doubted him, and even in his own home. Now, when you're reading through the Gospels, you will see that there are multiple men who are named James, and it gets a little confusing. Um, similar to Mary, there are lots of Marys in the Gospels, and sometimes we get them confused with one another. So um, if you remember that Jesus had 12 apostles, his highest leaders, um, most trusted leaders, and two of those are named James. So James, um, who's often referred to as the son of Zebedee, his brother is John, so oftentimes they'll say the sons of Zebedee, so that is James and John. And there's another James who is often referred to as um, James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, this is a different James, um, James, Jesus's brother, and he's often referred to in scripture as James, Jesus's brother. Now, the reason why we know that it's this particular James, Jesus's brother, that wrote this letter is because um, when this book was written was after we know that the other Jameses were killed from um, first century historians recorded when those, um, those Jameses were killed and martyred um, for fo being followers of Jesus. And so historically, we have um, believed that the writer of the book of James is actually Jesus's brother. So if Jesus, or if James was writing a letter, a pen pal letter, he would say, hello, my name is James. 
My father is a carpenter, and I grew up in Nazareth. It's a very small town of about 400 people. Um, my family, of course, is Jewish, and we practice and keep the Jewish laws. Um, I have four brothers, Jesus, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and some sisters, too. Um, we also live... <laughs> Yeah, patriarchy there. Um, <laughs> but we also live really closely with our neighbors, eating and learning and worshiping together. Yeah, you caught on there. So, um, so I know that many of us have, when we think about our own um, relationships with our siblings, we might have some complicated relationships. Um, there might be that kid in your family, um, oftentimes it's the older sibling who's just like the golden child, right? Just does everything right, got good grades, was good in sports, you know, everybody got along with him. And so maybe you can relate to James because for James, his older brother really was perfect. Like it wasn't just everybody thought he was perfect, he really was perfect. And so you can just imagine what that would be like for James when Jesus starts talking and, and um, about being the son of God and doing miracles, um, it would have been a struggle. And we see this recorded in the Gospels that James, along with his other brothers, really struggled to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. So we see in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, that um, they are, the brothers are getting on Jesus to kind of giving him advice on maybe how he could do a better job um, proclaiming who he is. So they say, starting in verse 3 of John 7, they say to him, why don't you leave Galilee and go to Judea? So that's kind of like leaving the smaller area and expanding, going out to farther out, so that your disciples there might see the works you do, because no one wants to become a public figure and acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, then why don't you show yourself to the world? So that's kind of like, if you're going to do this, why don't you go bigger? Um, why don't you get more followers? But then it, what's interesting is verse 5. It says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. And so that's important for us to see that James is not only Jesus' brother, but in the beginning, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And then we see if we can continue to kind of look through um, the, uh, the Gospels and then also Acts and later the letters from Paul, we see that these brothers do come around, that they follow Jesus, they hear his teachings, they see the miracles, and they start to believe for themselves. They are there when um, Jesus' death, we see they are there after the resurrection, and they continue to be there in the beginning of the church. And so... Um, at the very beginning of the church, right when um, Jesus ascends back to heaven after his resurrection, immediately the apostles get together and they're trying to replace one of the other apostles. And so it's recorded in the first chapter of Acts, who's in that room. So um, it says, those who are present, you'll recognize these names, Peter, John, James, John's brother, um, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, son of another James. And then verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So we see that things changed for James. It took time, but he eventually believed Jesus is who he said he was. 
And then we see in uh, Paul's letters, if you remember, Paul was not a believer in the beginning. He was actually against the church as the church began to grow in um, Jerusalem. It began with Jewish people. Um, Paul was a Jew. He was against this teaching of Jesus. He fought violently against them, and um, but is converted. He has this dramatic conversion. And it says, it's recorded in Galatians, um, a letter to the church in Galatians, Galatia, that he goes and spends three years in Jerusalem with Peter and the brother, James, the brother of Jesus, and shows that James has become kind of a leader in that church, that beginning church of Jerusalem, that he calls him one of the pillars of the church, um, along with Peter and John. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at James's letter to other Christian Jews who are living outside of Jerusalem. So what happens is start, this church starts in Jerusalem, and then persecution comes, and they're kind of dis, they go all out um, outside of Jerusalem to flee persecution, really. And so that is kind of how um, the message of Jesus is spread. And so that is who James is writing this letter to, to these Jewish Christians who are spread throughout um, the, the area. Now, the letter is very different. If you've ever read the book of James before, you will notice that it is different from other letters, um, especially Paul's letters. He's not addressing a specific church. He's not addressing a specific issue. He's instead teaching a much broader message of how fellow Christian Jews at the time should live now that they follow Jesus as their Messiah. And I think it's important for us to know James's unique background because it really helps us understand why his approach in his letter is so different. Um, it's helpful for us to remember that he is a Jewish man who is speaking to other Jews. And so a lot of what we find in this letter is very reminiscent of wisdom literature that we find in Hebrew scripture, um, specifically the book of Proverbs. So if you've ever read Proverbs, it kind of is all about how to live a life that is um, filled with wisdom, what a wise person lives like, what an unwise person lives like. And I just want to read one um, or two verses in Proverbs that kind of talk a lot about what James talks about in his letter. So you will see the similarities as you read. And I, I want to say, I really want you guys to read the book of James um, during this series. It won't be that difficult for you. It's only five um, chapters. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes to read it. So um, if you want to be superstars, you could read it every week of this series. And, um, and you, will see, you will learn things as you read it over and over again. So Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3 and 6 says this. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And that's really what James is talking about. It's important for us to remember he is trying to encourage these Jewish people who've been raised with Proverbs that there's a continuation to what they've been taught about these um, Hebrew Proverbs their whole life. But also remember that James heard Jesus' teachings, and so he incorporates 
the teaching that he heard, especially the Sermon on the Mount, um, he incorporates that new teaching and puts those together with the teaching that he was brought up with. And so um, there's a lot of Jesus's words that are very similar to James in his letter, but I just want to read something that Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. And as you read through the book of James in the next coming weeks, you will see um, how similar this is to James' words. So Jesus says in um, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So that word is very specific. Lord is kind of this idea. You are my master. You're in charge. I have to obey you because you are my Lord. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? That doesn't make sense. But he says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. Because when a a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was so well built. But the one who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without even a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. So we see as we read through James that it's a combination of these teachings, um, and he makes it his own in these short wisdom speeches on how we should live this new life following Jesus. And let me be honest, if you have never read James before, I'm going to warn you, James gets into your business. He is not comfortable. Um, he, adra- he addresses largely what it means like, uh, practically, to love God and love your neighbor that Jesus talked about. Um, he does not use these big theological words that are sometimes hard to understand, like Paul often does. Um, he uses instead clear, practical ways that we live like Jesus or we do not. And so over the years, um, people either love the book of James or they struggle with it. And um, I've heard some criticize the book of James because because it's different. um, And what they'll say is there isn't a whole lot of gospel in the book of James which is really interesting. Um, What they mean by that is there isn't a whole lot of talk about the cross. There isn't a whole lot of talk about salvation. And Paul almost always includes that, Peter as well, in his letters. Um, And what it makes me realize, and and if you've been around some churches, um, this is true too. When they talk about gospel, it's very... um, clear what they're talking about is just the good news that our individual relationship with God can be restored because the sacrifice of Jesus, that we can be forgiven of our sins and um, restored and reconciled to God because of Jesus, that that is the gospel. And I would say that is part of the gospel. And if you are saying that that is only the gospel, then you won't find that much in James. But if you have a much broader understanding of the gospel that is more than just our individual relationship that is restored, that Jesus was about bringing a kingdom that restored all relationships to one another, um, that that fixed all that is broken in our society, then you see that all through James. 
That is the gospel that James is talking about. And so it's no surprise that James, when he writes this book, um, or this letter, he uses this Greek word called teleos, this Greek word teleos, that um, oftentimes is translated um, in some translations, not in the NIV that we often use, um, but it'll be translated as the word perfect. And if you've ever been in the church or you um, have felt like there's a pressure, that you, this idea that we need to be perfect, and that our understanding of that can be that what that means is to be sinless or without fault. And so then the focus kind of leads us to, to worry about what is right and what is wrong, maybe even who's in and who's out. But that word teleos means more than perfect. Um, it has similar roots to the Hebrew word that we talk about all the time, shalom. This idea that is often the word shalom that's often translated as peace, but um, means more than that. It means wholeness. It means completeness. It means um, universal flourishing. So that word teleos is similar to that word and also another Hebrew word to mean, which um, also talks about wholeness. It talks about living a completely integrated life. And so I want you to think about what that means, the difference between perfect and living a whole life a whole integrated life where the things that we believe and then things that we know about ourselves and about God, that we live that in our lives, that we make choices in our lives, that we are completely whole, that we aren't making choices out of our ego, but instead we're making choices out of our wholeness, our wholeness that we find in Christ. And so I just want to show you one example of how uh, James uses this word. He actually uses it twice in one verse. In James chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Let perseverance finish its work. So that is that word that is translated as finish its, is the teleos word. Um, you could say perfect its work. So that you may be mature and complete, that's that word, teleos, not lacking anything. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The focus is not on being perfect here or even without sin. The focus is on living a wholehearted life that loves God and loves our neighbor. And it's interesting that it is this Greek word that James used so many times in his letter that Jesus uses when he describes this conversation he has with a man who comes to him and asks, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, he knows he's a Jewish man, um, how have you kept the Jewish laws? And it is recorded in Luke chapter 18, um, verse 21, that the man says, oh, I've I've kept all of these since I was a boy. All the laws he's kept. Now, I, I always am kind of like, really? Um, but Jesus doesn't question him. He just continues. And he, he says when he heard this, he says to him, you still lack one thing. You still don't have teleos. You still are not complete. And so he says, if you want that, if you want teleos, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. 
And it says, when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. That's the whole um, integrated life that Jesus is talking about. It's not about perfection. And maybe that's what the man was looking for. How can I be perfect? But he's saying, how can you live this integrated life? How can you be whole? Like I am whole. And so that is really what James is calling, calling followers of Jesus to be, to be whole. And so that's why during the next several weeks, it's important for us that our focus is to look at ourselves and to see what is broken and to call on God to work with us to make those areas in our lives whole. Um, before we end this morning, I, I want us to look at one last verse that follows that verse that I just read, um, James chapter 1, verse 4. So verse 4 says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But the next verse says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without fault, to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So the truth is, we all want to be complete, we all want to be whole, but we lack. We lack wisdom, and we really need God to fill in where we are not complete, where we are not whole, to the Holy Spirit to show up and help us have wisdom in our life. So those things that we believe about God, that we believe about ourselves, that we make choices in our lives that are... Um, that are speaking out of that wholeness, that are acting out of that wholeness that we have. And so um, we have sheets here that we're going to have a little act short activity for us to just kind of reflect on um, where we're going in this series. So um, on the sheet of paper that Larry's passing out, it just has um, space for you to write different areas in your life that you need wisdom for right now. So... I need wisdom. And that can be many different things. I need wisdom for my job right now. I need wisdom um, in my relationship. I need wisdom for my children or I need in dating. There's so many things in our life. I need wisdom, um, do I, how I spend my money. There's so many things that we know about the, what we study in, in Scripture but how do we apply it to our lives? We need wisdom for those areas. And so I'm just going to give you some time to fill out, reflect on areas in your life that you really need wisdom right now. And we're just going to trust that during this series, that if we ask for the wisdom that God can give us, that he will be faithful, that he will give us those wisdom. So um, I'll give you some time. Proverbs says, cry out for insight and ask for understanding, for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Let's pray right now. Lord, we acknowledge that we are 
um, a work in progress, that we are not whole, um, and that we all have work to do to live a life that is like the life you lived, a life that was completely um, lived out of wholeness. And um, we pray for those areas in our life where um, we're not quite sure what path to take. It isn't always clear. How should we spend our money? Where should we shop? Um, how should we, where should we move? Should we move? Should we stay? Should we um, stay in our job or look for a new one? Should we um, apologize, ask for forgiveness? Should we remove ourselves from an unhealthy situation or relationship? All of these areas, we need wisdom, Lord. Things that aren't quite as black and white. That we just need your wisdom, Lord. And and right now, I just pray for all of us that we would give you space in our lives for you to speak to us so that we could hear that wisdom. And then I ask for the courage to listen to you as Lord. And when you speak to us about giving us wisdom about how to act, that we would have the courage to do that, that we wouldn't be like the man who is just sad because just can't do it. That we would trust that your way is the best way, that wholeness is actually um, the most fulfilling way to live. And um, we thank you for your forgiveness that you give um, without finding fault, that you relate to us um, not as um, somebody who looks and says you're not good enough but always um, wanting us to be whole. Um, we thank you so much for who you are. I pray for um, this journey through the book of James. I pray that um, we would hear your voice and that it would um, drown out the other voices, that we would just hear your loving voice. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.